From deep inside the Death Star, I'm Chad Beter. And I'm Andrew Richards. Aaron Margosis. And welcome to Defrag Tools, the show that takes you inside Microsoft and inside Windows. We've got Aaron back for the first time in, uh, say, uh, 18 months or so. Yeah, about a year and a half. Uh, cool. Episode, Good to be back. episode 173. We went and looked it up. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. So we're up to almost 200 now. So uh, it's been a little while. Uh, I notice you're wearing a cool T-shirt here. Keep calm. Keep calm and run Procmon. And run Procmon. Oh, there you go. Get yeah. that up in the shot there. <laughs> nice. Uh, very cool. So tell us where you got this, because we, we have some Procmon fans that watch, I know. Of course. So uh, Chris Jackson came up with this one, and proceeds from this go to, actually, let me bring up this web page. Um, so I, I posted it on, a, on my blog, blogsmsdn.com, uh, microsoft.com, Aaron Margosis, case of the reverting office theme, and down at the bottom nice. is the t-shirt, and proceeds from these sales go to the Seattle Humane Society, and you can get there by going to aka.ms slash t-shirt slash keep calm. Very cool. And uh, I like black, Yeah. but you can get lots of different colors. Black is always a good choice. I like pastel black myself when I'm, either black or pastel black when I want a pop of color, you know. So who coined um, the term um, when in doubt run process monitor? Was that? That was David Solomon. David Solomon's. Yes. Uh, and so this is an adaptation of that. Yeah. That was yeah. decades ago, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, Centuries cool. ago. So uh, what, yeah. are you, what are you yeah. here to talk about today? You've got some new, new technology. Yeah. New, new today I'm here to talk about application whitelisting and uh, this thing called Aaron Locker, which, first of all, let me get this right out of the way right away. I did not come up with that name. Okay, this, this is, <laughs> it's automation that uh, makes AppLocker uh, feasible to use uh, and practical to use. And I was calling it robust and practical application whitelisting based on AppLocker. And Chris Jackson, who's all about branding, you know, as you can see, yeah, yeah. decided to start calling it Aaron Locker. And he called it that in public presentations. And I think he did it mostly to piss me off because he knew there's no way I would ever put a name like that on anything I did. But um, I decided to release it and decided I don't have a better name, you know, robust and practical application whitelisting doesn't roll off the tongue the and same way. And I'm guessing way. that, that acronym's not great either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, <laughs> not worry too much about where that goes before we yeah. find ourselves saying something <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so uh, basically, um, I, I consider application whitelisting to be the next big stage, the next big thing we have to do to secure end-user workstations. So mm -hmm. a dozen years ago or so, we started getting everybody to stop running everything as admin all the time and start running as standard user. And that was, that was a big win because when malware ran with admin rights on the box, it already was running on an equal footing with any security software you had. Mm -hmm. And so it was really easy not only to defeat the security software, but to completely uh, subvert the integrity of the operating system, install kernel mode rootkits, and whatever. Yeah. So we got them past that. That broke a lot of malware right away, because a lot of malware assumed that end users were running with admin rights, and so that broke. But, you know, things have changed, and uh, malware authors have adapted, and most users run as standard user today, and uh, malware is adapted to that. And, you know, take ransomware, for example. Ransomware right. generally does not need admin rights. Mm. It generally only needs the ability to access and modify the documents 
that you're you allowed about. to access and modify. Right. So now the next big thing we need to do, you know, we've had antivirus and you know behavior detection and things like that, and it's got a certain failure rate, right, uh, right. to say the least, and uh, can cause some other issues. The next thing is application whitelisting, where we can say, look, you know, we're going to dictate ahead of time what you're allowed to run and what you're not allowed to run, and uh, so. The basic rule that this follows is if an admin puts it on the box, it's allowed to run. So if it's under program files or is designated, like pre-approved, like it's signed by WebEx, for example, then it's allowed to run. Mm -hmm. Anything that a user can put on the box, things that are in a user writable directory, are not allowed to run. We use AppLocker to do that. Uh, AppLocker's uh, whitelisting technology has been built into Windows since Windows 7 and Server 2008 R2. Um, now in Windows 10, we have Windows Defender Application Control, which originally was called Device Guard. It is evolving, it is getting better, and there's things it can do that AppLocker will never be able to do. Um, but uh, there's things we can do with AppLocker that are more challenging with, uh, with Windows Defender Application Control, or WDAC as we call it. So, so, so taking an example from your world, I mean, Aaron's the author of the System Tunnels book. The System Tunnels co tool, or co-author, thank you, yeah, mainly ghost, you know, whatever. Um, uh, it's, it's a very, you know, it's a positive tool. It's there for a, a, you know, a good reason. It's, it's not a nefarious tool, but it's an example of something that would be blocked generally because it's not known to be from a, you know, AppLock is not going to have its certificate in its normal list, right, in a normal operation. Um, well, it depends how you do whitelisting, right? So there's a couple basic approaches that you can take. One is enumerate everything that's on the box, right? right? We're going to dictate what services are allowed to run and what drivers are allowed to load. And Windows Defender Application Control can do that. AppLocker cannot do that. AppLocker uh, can be controlled by admins, and so it's not really a good tool for constraining what admins do. Mm. So if you set as your target, look, we're just controlling what end users are doing, non-administrative end users on the machine, then this becomes a viable solution. If you mm. need something where you're going to control every single thing they can execute, you need to go Windows Defender Application Control. Something like an ATM would be a perfect uh, use case for that. Definitely. Right. So, so as far as you know, uh, sysinternals tools, I put mine under program files. Mm -hmm. I, uh, whenever I uh, put the sysinternals tools, it's program files, sysinternals, and I copy everything in there. There are some additional challenges, though, because uh, many of the tools, you know, they're 32-bit, and when they need to run 64-bit code, they extract out uh -huh. the 64-bit version to the user's temp directory and execute it from there. Uh -huh. And uh, in my case, that fails Definitely. a lot. So I try to run the native 64-bit version mm. directly whenever it's available. Definitely. Yeah. So what's this, um, what's this value add that Aaron Locker does on top of AppLocker? What's, the, what's its So uh, the point? thing about AppLocker is, um, like I said, it's a great foundation. But if you try to just take the tools that it gives you and the GUI and the wizards and things like that and try to set up um, practical uh, settings, uh, uh, configuration, it's really hard to get to something you can actually use in production. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of the challenges. One is uh, the default rules include allow execution under program files in the Windows directory and nothing else. Or admins can run anything, everybody else can run under program files and the Windows directory, which is fine, but there's uh, 
user-writable directories, subdirectories, under the Windows directory. And there's oftentimes, under program files, an app will install and it'll create user-writable subdirectories there, mm -hmm. which allows a bypass. Any user can copy something into there and then execute from there. So you need to add those exceptions. Gotcha. And uh, Windows does not tell you how to do that. Uh, also, if you install the SCCM client, it, incre it uh, creates more uh, end-user-writable subdirectories under the Windows directory. So SSCM is System Center S Configuration Manager? Yes. 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 Well done. Yeah. That, was nice. Nice. that was a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> I just spell it because uh, yeah. I, I can spell four-letter words, I guess. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Another problem, though, is there are things that you need to allow to run that run out of the user profile or other user-writable directories. Um, OneDrive, for example, is something that comes in Windows, and uh, they found reasons that they thought it was best to install into the user profile directory and self-update from there. Mm -hmm. So you know, the base AppLocker rules won't, get you, uh, won't allow that to run. So we need a way to allow these things to execute in a way that's easy to maintain. Mm -hmm. So how does this relate to store apps, which are in another area, they're in the app data? Yeah, so um, the AppLocker GUI actually calls out store apps separately. And AaronLocker actually just punts on that and says, store apps are allowed, period. Mm -hmm. uh, because they all run in app container. Right. Um, so there's, you know, other than phishing attempts and things like that, there's not a lot, and they have to get into the store to do that. Mm. It's a very, very low risk. Uh, you're not going to compromise, or I shouldn't say that, it's very unlikely that you're going to compromise the system going through a store app. Gotcha. Like uh, compromise the user session, install software, run whenever they log on, things mm. like that. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, for, for store apps, um, I, uh, Aaron Locker just says allow. Now, it, it can be customized, so you could actually block store apps if you want to, um, but it would require a little bit of hand editing. As you say, it's, it, the risk is low and it's not really the attack vector that right. you're worrying about, yeah. Right. So should we do some demo time? Sure. Let me switch over to a VM here. Oh, by the way, uh, are we on the screen? Yeah. yeah. So this is uh, the link, uh, application whitelisting with Aaron Locker. This is where you can download the current version. I'm going to move it to GitHub or someplace, or I might keep posting here uh, when I get around to it. Um, we'll, we'll definitely have a uh, link below in the show notes. Yeah. Okay, so this is basically it. It's all based on PowerShell, so if you need to edit it, you can edit it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a set of scripts and a big Word document and a bunch of subdirectories. The main thing to run is create policies. You run that and it'll generate uh, a robust set of application whitelisting rules for AppLocker. For customization, you go into the customization inputs directory and this is where you can customize things. Let me Go in here and ooh, fancy command. And run the ISE. There's no way to say ISE star and pick up all the files, so you have to do something fancy instead. One of these days we've got to get Jeffrey Snover on to talk about PowerShell. Yeah. We keep on talking about it. We need to organize it. So let's see. Um, the first thing are safe paths to allow. So if you have additional directories that are uh, read-only to standard users that standard users need to be able to execute from, all you have to do is add a line saying what uh, directory that is. So, for example, the Windows Defender team moved a bunch of their binaries out of program files and under program data. Mm -hmm. um, 
I have my opinions about whether that's a good idea or not, or a horrible idea, but, and I've shared my opinions <laughs> with the team. But in the meantime, that's where they uh, this is, uh, so I just add this one line of text, and now when I generate the rules, this path will be allowed. Mm -hmm. um, I can add others, it, it actually adds in, if your domain joined, it'll add in uh, the net logon syswell shares of the domain so that you can run startup scripts, uh, not startup scripts, uh, logon scripts. Logon yeah. scripts. Yeah. Startup scripts will run automatically anyway because they're running a system, uh, but these run as the user, uh, so that's allowed. Um, the next tricky thing to do is unsafe paths. Unsafe paths are user-writable directories. And what this script does is it allows you to specify um, locations that need to be scanned for executable code, mm -hmm. including batch files, scripts, uh, DLLs, EXEs. Um, I do turn on DLL rules in this solution. So here's an example, right? Uh, OneDrive. We want to um, uh, allow OneDrive to execute. So what it's going to do is when I run create policies, it's going to read in the content of the script. It's going to enumerate everything under local app data Microsoft OneDrive and generate rules for every single file it finds. Mm -hmm. It's going to generate a publisher rule where it can, or a hash rule if the file is not signed. Mm -hmm. Now this is the binaries of OneDrive, not your OneDrive content. This is the, That's correct, the binary yes. Of OneDrive. This is all about allowing execution of code. EXEs, DLLs, yep. even if the extension's been renamed, um, you know, uh, script files, um, MSIs. Yeah. yeah. I say that because I know I keep a lot of executables like the debugger and a couple of other things in my OneDrive mm. as, you know, as data. Okay. So that's a separate. Uh, yeah, if yeah. without creating rules for those, you would not be able to execute once you have uh, AaronLocker yeah. configured. Yeah. Trusted signers, this allows you uh, to configure rules without actually having to see the executables. So, um, for example, here, uh, find a good example. Here, we'll just go up here to the comments. Uh, anything signed by Contoso. If I create a structure like this and output it, um, I'm going to get rules that will be labeled trust all Contoso that will uh, allow anything signed by this certificate. WebEx is an example, I, mm. I, a real world example I use a lot because uh, WebEx signs all their stuff. They drop it under program data, but they sign everything with their certificate. So mm. I just say, if it's signed by WebEx, we're going to allow it. Or in a customer environment where they want to allow WebEx, I do that. Do you think we'll get to a point where um, binaries that aren't signed will be the, just we get blocked, where we won't fall back to this hashing methodology? Do you think we'll get that far? I don't know. Uh, something will have to drive it. Um, I know internally at Microsoft on my own system, uh, I have to create hash rules for a lot of things because some of our internal apps, head tracks, for example, does mm. not sign anything. Yeah. So whenever I need to update head tracks, I need to regenerate rules. Regenerate the hash. So yeah. um, something needs to drive that. WDAC is all about signing, so they might drive some of that. But application whitelisting is really something that's not really caught on that much because it's been so hard. Yeah. So you know, I think it, you know if people start signing it, the barrier to entry is going to drop and. And then, well, you know, you'll be happy to run a whitelisting scenario, right? Mm -hmm. So let me just go ahead and um, create policies. And uh, just for fun, I'll generate Excel documentation at the same time. Whoa, documentation, that's a fancy word. So <laughs> the first thing it's doing is using sysinternals access check and enumerating uh, directories under the Windows directory and program files to look for user-writable subdirectories. Mm -hmm. um, 
and creating exceptions for those. So allow everything under the Windows directory minus these subdirectories that are user writable. It'll do the same for program files and. Uh, now, do you ship um, access check with your scripts, or is that no? You need to have you it have to download, download it separately. separately. Yeah. Okay. Um, exe files to blacklist. Scroll back up to that. Um, there are some executables in Windows that are known uh, to the community as things that can be used to bypass whitelisting. MSHTA, for example, uh, the HTML application hosting application. Um, it does not do any checks. If you run MSHTA, give it any HTA file, it'll process it and run any of the scripts in there, and you can do anything from there. And HTA is a HTML archive? Application. Yeah. Application. So it's a star.hta. It's basically an HTML file, but it runs basically as, it, it's, it basically allows you to run a GUI okay. um, interactively. So um, I block that. I block some other uh, you know, known bypass things that most end users won't need to use. Mm. Um, one other thing I, I add into there in the exe files of blacklist, actually, I can show you because it's, uh, you can customize it if you want to. Um, some things that come with the .NET framework install, util, IE, exec, et cetera, um, MSHTA presentation host, WMIC. Cypher.exe is one that I block. And the reason for that is Cypher.exe is a command line tool that allows you to manipulate. Um, EFS, the encrypting file system, attributes of files and directories. And uh, most end users never need to run that. Yeah, I've I, never I, run it. I've never run it. Yeah. <laughs> I um, use the GUI sometimes to do that. Yeah, well, the problem with this is that ransomware has found a way to get on the box. You know, if ransomware can get on the box, they don't need to bring an encryption engine which can raise red flags. Uh, they use cipher.exe to encrypt files. Gotcha. And then send the keys off to you know, mm -hmm. someplace else. Yeah. Um, so, so you block that. So I block cipher.exe by default. Now, if you are in an environment where you need cipher.exe, all you have to do is comment that out. Comment that out, rerun the thing, and it won't block cipher.exe. One hashtag away. Um, run as also because uh, if you're concerned about credential hygiene, you shouldn't be using run as. So someone asked that I put that in, so I put yeah. it in. Now the thing is, um, this is only stopping these executables for non-admins. Admins can still run these things. Admins can run anything they want. So let's see what we got here. Um, additional safe paths or process. Compute, this computer is not domain joined, so it doesn't add the path for the DC shares. Uh, add some trusted publishers to make it easier for OneDrive to operate. Microsoft signed script files are allowed because a lot of the troubleshooting tools depend on scripts running in the user profile. Uh, as the user, mm -hmm. and so uh, I allow Microsoft signed script files. I don't allow all Microsoft signed executables because that's way too, and, or all Microsoft signed DLLs because that's way too broad yeah. a set of executables. Because you know we build debuggers, we build developer tools, and if you're allowed to run those and then debug programs, you can yeah. do anything you want and bypass. So um, I don't allow everything signed by Microsoft. Uh, the Redistributable DLLs, though, the MFC and MSVC DLLs, I allow those because a lot of software ships with those and yeah, exactly. it just makes it easy to go ahead and bake these in ahead of time. Um, so for OneDrive, uh, generates the custom rule sets and then fires up Excel. Let me show you, first of all, ordinarily, 
want to use IE here. IE is such a great browser. Yeah, it has a good XML browse. Microsoft.com. Here we go. So this is this is actually the rule set that it generates, and it's XML and it's got GUIDs and it's got attributes and all this stuff, and you can kind of get an idea of what's allowed and what's not. But mm -hmm. it's a whole lot easier if you uh, just use what Aaron Locker gives you in terms of Excel. So it generates an Excel spreadsheet. Cool. That removes all the unnecessary stuff and allows you to focus on what you're interested in and builds in the sorting and filtering and things like that. So if you're interested in just the DLL rules, we can just take a look at the DLL rules. And you'll see that you know, we've got these publisher rules, we've got these path rules, uh, the exceptions are all listed here. So this allows execution under the Windows directory minus these subdirectories. Mm. And these are enumerated. And it, it, there's actually subdirectories of these that would be blocked also, but this already takes care of them. So I don't need to list every single user writable subdirectory, just the root level ones, yes. the highest level ones, yeah. where I can catch all of them. So what's the experience? And when you oh, by the way, uh, here where it's, uh, let me find an example here. Here's one that, uh, with OneDrive, the label is added to the name, and the description includes the path where the original file was found. So it's self-documenting. You look mm. at the rule set and you can figure out like why do we have this rule there? This It'll tell you exactly what file right. it came from to find that. Ah. So we, just do the simple thing. What's it look like when you violate AppLocker, AppLocker? Let's it, do that. Let's so actually um, see this in action. Let's see. Uh, first I need to set it up. So ordinarily in a domain joined environment or uh, in Intune, I'm going to get to the point where we can do this through Intune as well. I'm talking with people about that. Uh, we need to set up the rules. Um, this tool set comes with some local configuration scripts so you can do it in a standalone system as well. And so first I'm going to configure for AppLocker. And then I'm going to apply the newest policy, the newest enforced policy, to the local group policy. Now, I assume these commandlets are standard inbox. You don't have to add any additional. No, these features. are all. This is all part of the tool set. Yeah. 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 There's no. Uh, I'm saying there's no extra uh, feature you have to add to Windows to to achieve this. Um, AppLocker is not available in Home Edition. I don't remember if it's in Pro. I don't know what happened if you ran it on Pro. <laughs> Someone can post something to the comments field here. We'll see. Um, but this is for constraining non-admins, so I'm going to switch over to a non-admin account to, uh, let's see. Can I sign out? Can I lock? I think I have to sign out and sign back in. Good thought you be, yeah. Because I'm in a... Switch to the Toby account. I don't know if anybody remembers these names, the Abby and Toby. I was just about to ask, what, what is the origin of this Abby and Toby and his other w names? This goes back to the Vista days when they were developing Windows Vista. Uh, rather than say, we're, uh, we'd like to talk about uh, the home user who's an admin or the home user who's a non-admin, and they just created these personas. Right. Abby is the soccer mom. Uh, 
-hmm. who is the administrator of the box. Toby is her son, who is, is non-admin. And so if Toby wants to install something, he runs the MSI, and Abby comes over and using over-the-shoulder mm -hmm. UAC elevation types in her password, allowing the execution to continue. So this is Windows Vista era, when yes. USA was added. They came up yes. with these sort of personas of uh, typical Microsoft Windows users. I've always wondered if it was a someone's kid that actually was <laughs> real or something. Yeah, I don't know where they came up with the actual um, names. So let's see, what can I run? Um, what should I run? I should be able to run Excel. But that's in program files, right? Yep, that's installed under program files, and I should be able to run Google Chrome. Yeah, so Excel is going to work. Now, Chrome is, is a full installer, so it goes into. This is the full install of Google Chrome. What this will do is, if you ins if you apply Aaron Locker and don't create any rules allowing everything signed by Google, uh, non-admins will not be able to do per-user installs of Google Chrome or Firefox mm -hmm. or pretty much anything. So Google Chrome runs. So this that binary was in a user app data folder, or was it in no, program files? No, this is this is the program files program install. File so if I look at the properties, yeah, yeah program files x86, Google Chrome application, etc. So that's allowed. Mm -hmm. um, but if I go to, let me see. I think I created for this demo. I've got c colon apps. So obviously these aren't, this folder is not in your whitelist. Right, there's no rules here. So vert mem test, you get this. Right. Okay, close Lua bug light, blocked. Right. Uh, policy analyzer, blocked. Everything going to be blocked in here unless we create separate rules for it. It reminds me of the, um, the Windows S experience, which is what this is. S mode. Uh, yeah, S mode, mm -hmm. uh, where you do get this type of, sorry, we're not allowing this application type. And that's S a slightly different concept. But, okay, yeah. But it has the same user experience. Yes. Uh, one of the differences being that we could, let me see if I can, uh, let me try to do this demo here. Maybe I can add in rules allowing these specific apps. And I don't recommend doing, uh, you know, admin on a non-admin desktop, but um, for demo purposes and so forth. Um, what I will do is, when this comes up, loading, loading. <laughs> I'm going to create. Um, I'm going to change the unsafe paths to build rules for. And I'm going to say, I'm going to allow all the apps in that folder that are there right now, but nothing else. Mm -hmm. So unsafe paths. Give it a label. I'll say extra apps, paths, and this can be one or more paths, mm -hmm. C apps, and 
I'm not going to worry about the version. So if, if someone upgrades it, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, so uh, you can uh, either say must be this version or newer, or if you say enforcement version equals false, it'll say any version. It, mm -hmm. it won't apply a restriction on the version. Okay, so I've updated this file. I will create new policies. Now remember, this is an administration command prompt inside a user session. This is, yes. this is not a user doing this right now. And by the way, did you notice it did not go through the Windows directory and all that because it's already done that. Ah. Right? So that is in scan result. Whoops. It'll did you save your scan yes, results? Because what happens is when it runs through there, it grabs all the data it needs about the exe files to blacklist. It gets the list of user-writable subdirectories. And when it finds these files there, it'll just reuse them. Cool. Um, and one thing about this also is once you do this and you have this information, now I can rebuild this rule set on a completely different machine. Right? So I can build it on a clean machine that doesn't have any apps, but I've already got the data that mm. I captured before, and I can rebuild rules really quickly. So now um, the rules that I've just generated should include if I go into Merge Rules Dynamic, this is the stuff that was dynamically generated. There's extra app rules. And if I, oops, I'm already in there. Um, show that. This is, oh, we can do better than that, can't we? Toby has to approve all that too and get rid of that. So this fragment is our rules for those files. And this fragment gets incorporated in. Now if you drop a new file into this folder, it's not going to be included because it's, it's right. a cherry pick explicit point yep. in time rule. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Local configuration, apply policy to local GPO. And it might take a moment for it to take effect, but we should see it take effect fairly quickly. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think if there's a way I can get another. Oh, yeah, of course I can get another file in here. Let me go to. Just copy our notepad into it. I mean, it doesn't matter what the X is, right? Yeah, I was going to say. Just any. Here we go. Um, let me just find something that I don't have in there yet. Defrag.exe. Oh, That's a really ancient tool, but yeah, it'll do. That's what the show's called. <laughs> <coughs> we do get the random email on the alias asking about defrag. Mentation problems. <laughs> yeah, we had one the other day. Yeah. We still answered it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to ask us your uh, defragmentation questions, we'll do our okay. best. Okay, so I'm going <laughs> to add right. in, I'm going to add in that, that tool. Okay, yep. so I've got defrag in there. I should, at this point, be able to run policy analyzer, and it comes up. I can run this ancient tool I wrote back in the mid-90s. Um, so that all works, but if I try to run defrag, that's blocked. Bum, bum. Right? Cool. So right. I'm not allowing 
everything in this directory. I'm allowing the ones I specifically created. I really store. like how a directory which is you know, not protected enough is still secure. It's a, I mean, obviously it's a gaping hole otherwise. Yes. It's, it's a really clean experience. Is there any built-in UI in Windows that shows you the policy um, like in a graphical form? As a matter of fact, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously there's um, a local security utility Securities policy. or policy rather. Application control policies, AppLocker. These are the yeah. executable rules. And you can see here, now this is only local policy. If you are doing this in a domain, you'd need to go to the uh, domain, domain group GPA. policy editor. Mm -hmm. But you can sort by name, and you can see that the label has been incorporated into the names Us. of each of these, so you can see what's what. That's nice. Um, yeah. Very so cool. So then the next thing is what happens when uh, when you need to look at the data. And how do you know when things are working or not? So mm -hmm. you've got this policy deployed to hundreds, maybe thousands of machines. You need to know when things are going wrong, because it might be that someone's running something that uh, they need to be allowed to run, but it's currently being blocked. Or it might be that it's doing its job and keeping people from running things they shouldn't be running. Yeah. Um, so the event viewer You go to uh, the AppLocker event log. You'll mostly see information events. So every time AppLocker evaluates a file, mm -hmm. it's going to uh, allow it or block it. Mm -hmm. Or in audit mode. So you, uh, AppLocker gives you the ability to enforce rules or audit rules. Mm -hmm. Audit means uh, if the rules don't allow it, you get a warning in the event log, but the file is allowed to run. Mm -hmm. um, here we're in enforce mode. Uh, so we'll, we would just see errors. So if I filter on errors and warnings, we'll probably see a few errors. And the details will tell you. And that's a defect we saw before. Mm -hmm. Exe and DLL. Well, the, the general had it. Maximize this. Yeah, yeah this uh, OS drive apps defrag. Very cool. Um, so. The thing is, this is, you know, there's a lot of other noise in here. And this makes it a little hard to, you know, get to useful information. So Back Aaron Locker provides uh, scripts to handle that. Let me go out to the host machine here and show an example of the kind of data it can generate. This is uh, anonymized from an actual uh, customer where I anonymize the data. Uh, it can generate uh, from the event log. Uh, the event log data forwarded to a central event collector. So here, this is uh, from 62 machines reporting events over a period of a uh, little a day Nine and a half. Um, you know, 2,808 events. Uh, it'll tell you all the machine names and how many events per machine, including ones that uh, did apply the policy but haven't reported any data. You can get here are the publishers that were observed where we've got 247 events of unsigned files, things from Gracenote, Bugsplat, Google, Microsoft, Provocraft. Uh, and now you can take this if you say, we need to allow this to run. You can t this is the information you need to put into mm. the trusted signers uh, script to say, we want to allow everything signed by this. Mm. Or you could go more detailed and say, you know, we want to limit it to this publisher, but this product name. Uh, nice and granular, yeah. Okay. Or more detailed, here is uh, you know, internal file name, file type, 
um, and you can use that level of detail if you want. Uh, also note here the um, local app data, Amazon Music. Let me go to the, the final tab over here that has the full details uh, because what shows up in the event log is the actual path, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, where it replaces C colon with OS drive, uh, but yeah. other than that, uh, OS drive users, uBaker, app data, roaming, blah, blah, blah. If you have the same user running the same thing out of each of their program director, uh, the user profiles, you'll get a separate path for each one. Mm -hmm. So what this does is it synthesizes from that, looks for patterns like users, something, app data, or app data local, yeah. mm -hmm. and generates a generic path. And so uh -huh. now you can filter on that and see, you know, we're seeing the same file mm -hmm. across multiple users. Uh, it gives you all this level of detail, including um, when it happened um, in a format where you can filter on specific days or times, things like that. Very cool. So you can take this back and very quickly correct whatever needs to be corrected, update the rules to allow uh, your end users to run whatever they need. So it's one of those standard evolution things. You start in audit mode, collect the data, start locking it down, locking it down or adding it up, whichever way you want to get it, positive yeah. or negative, white or black. Yeah. Very awesome. Yeah. I think it's definitely something that's going to, you know, as you said, we're moving into a new era of security and this is the, this is the Next technology step. that's required yeah. to do yes. that. Yes, makes this a lot easier to implement and uh, gather data and how it's, how it's working. And yeah. yeah, very cool. And I've been running it on my own machine for over a year, so yeah. Very positive so experience. It's, it's yep. been tested. And I'll also point out, I've uh, brought this to a couple uh, of customers and you know, within a week, I show them, here's how it's done, and help them set up the Windows event forwarding, Windows event collection, and they t they've taken it over very, very quickly. Mm. So it's not like you need high levels of expertise. That was really the whole idea behind this, is to lower the bar to entry yeah. to make application whitelisting feasible. And so I've got customers who, they're good, they're good at their technology, um, but they picked it up just so quickly and are able to be successful and deploy application whitelisting in their environments. And I wouldn't be surprised there's a couple of aha moments like, oh, we didn't know that was happening. Yes, there were a few of those. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yeah, that ProvoCraft thing, yeah, there was an administrative assistant who was uh, uh, running um, you know, stuff that she did at home. She'd just bring it in and you know, working on uh, you know, cutouts of paper and decals and things <laughs> like that. And she was doing that on her work machine, which isn't necessarily a problem, but you know, you don't want to allow end users to just install anything they want on the machine and start running it. Yeah, right. So, yeah, they put her in enforce mode right away. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Aaron. Uh, it was a really good in-depth look into application locker or app locker and Aaron Locker. Thank you for coming in. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. As always, oh, before I say anything, Buy the book. We'll have the link below oh, for the sure, system channels. Yeah. Troubleshooting with Windows. Troubleshooting. What's it called? Uh, I think the no, the new one is troubleshooting, troubleshooting with system with channels. Tools. tools. I, I lost <laughs> it. Anyway, well, the link will be below. Awesome book. Yeah. Uh, the absolute uh, troubleshooting with the Windows System System Internals Tools, second edition. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely with the, Mark Rasinovich, yes. co-authored by Mark Rasinovich. Yeah, he, yep. he he read it afterwards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not funny. So uh, yeah, definitely the quintessential book for uh, System Internals. You should just it's just one of those books you should have. So up there with the Windows Internals books as well. I've got one on my shelf. Yep, definitely. So uh, thank you, Aaron, again. Thanks. As always, put your comments below and email us at defragtools at microsoft.com to ask any questions about this or anything else, even things like 
defragmentation. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we do get those questions. All right. Thank you, guys, and see you next week. Thanks for watching.